0: This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives. The power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I interview Ryan Gambon, former Olympic swimmer and well-known strength coach and trainer in Australia. Ryan has worked with all populations, from general population to golfers, and now combat athletes. Today, Ryan discusses his experience in the 2008 Olympics his personal experiences with training, and how being a father has impacted his life. Listen in. This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am on with strength and conditioning coach, trainer, and former Olympian Ryan Gambin. Ryan, thanks for being on. Thank you.
1: Very nice to finally meet you and speak.
0: Yeah, we've known each other unofficially for a couple of years now, but this is the first time we're talking in person.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, first time we've, we've been able to converse and, and speak properly, um, but like we were talking just earlier briefly, you know, love, love the, love social media for for these kind of this aspect, you know, and um, and being able to positively uh, learn and be involved with the other coaches around the world.
0: I actually have a pro player that signed a contract in Australia that I wanted to work with you while he was out there. Right. He signed with Keylor Thunder in Victoria, but turns out that was hours from you. I told him to go see you anyway. You know, the, the power of social media.
1: Yeah, it helps, man. I, you know, it has the negative aspects, but it's like most things. You, you can make of it what you make of it. You can avoid the negative things and you can use it for the positive things.
0: Absolutely. So I have a lot of things I want to cover with you today. To start, you were an Olympic athlete, which I knew, but I didn't realize that you swam in 2008. 2008 had Phelps winning eight gold medals. It had Kobe on a mission to make the NBA relevant again. And Nadal won the tennis championships. 2008 was an impactful Olympics. What was it like to be an athlete and swimmer in that atmosphere? Yeah, man. Um,
1: It's funny because as I'm sure you're getting to know me, it's not actually something that i put a lot of weight into myself being an Olympian. And to be honest, half the time I forget because this stage in my life, you know, I've recently turned 35 and it's so funny that I used to think swimming was everything. Um, I grew up, you know, from the age of five, I've had this mindset of Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. I want to get to the Olympics. I got to get to the Olympics. And I truly thought that I, I when I was younger, I remember I didn't see past the Olympics. I thought that was going to be my whole life. And then I guess being young and naive, I, I guess I thought I was gonna perform so well at the Olympics. And if you do well at the Olympics, you just be rich, you know, and, and I wouldn't have to worry about working or or I'd fall into the media or something. You know, I remember I remember being a naive child. Um, you know what? I remember a teacher. Uh I must have been all of maybe 15, 16, and he pulled me aside in class. I wasn't a good student at school. And he pulled me aside in class, and I guess I I wasn't a good student because I put no weight in in my education because I didn't think I'd need it. I thought I'd just be some superstar swimmer, Um, which is, you know, comical now. But, you know, I remember he pulled me aside and said, okay, Ryan, well, what are you going to do if swimming doesn't work out? Basically, yeah, and I took. I remember being so offended by that. You know, like, what do you mean swimming might not work out? Like, I'm going to the Olympics and I'm going to be a superstar and you know conquer the world. Right. Um, and it's it's so funny that I remember that conversation really well. Um, and you know, I should have listened maybe a bit more intensively. But um, just just to point out the fact that now at this point in my life. I realized that that was such a small part of my life that I thought was my entire world, you know. So growing up, I put a lot, a lot of weight in, into swimming and just becoming an Olympian. Um, as you know, it's, it's a bit of a unique story because uh, I, I grew up here in Australia. Um, I, I have half Maltese blood, so my father's Maltese. And, uh, you know, I had a, quite a successful... Swimming career here in Australia. Uh, While when I was getting to the point where I was starting to make international teams and things like that, uh, I guess the Olympic Committee in Malta, having my last name is Gambin, as we say in Australia, Gambin. In Maltese, it would be Gumbin. The Maltese Olympic Committee obviously saw my last name, um, you know, being represented at international events. And they've reached out and obviously I guess found out my heritage and they've reached out and basically said, you know, would you like to create history? And history in the fact of they saw that I had the potential to become uh, the the first Maltese athlete to actually qualify for the Olympic Games. So they'd had athletes um, participate in the Olympic Games and basically if nobody qualifies in an event from a country you basically get a bit of a wild card so you can participate at the olympic games that country and that's how malta had been participating in the games and uh they reached out and with the opportunity to create history so it was a really hard thing to sort of pass up i was about 23 i think when they reached out to me this was around 2006 um and yeah ultimately uh we can get into that later. Um but yeah, like the, the whole how that all the transition, how that all happened. Uh, but yeah, when, went to the Olympics and, and got to race. It's funny, man, because this morning, like literally half an hour ago downstairs, um I had a, a young girl who was trained at the gym and they I guess they kind of read a little bit about your rap sheet, you know, as a trainer here now. And there's a bit because I'm at a new gym now, so I guess there's a little bit of excitement around me coming here and the gym uses the fact that I was an Olympian, you know, as a bit of a draw card to, to help me establish credential as a coach and things like that. Not something that I personally put weight into myself as a coach, um, but, you know, obviously a lot of people respect that, which I love. I enjoy that respect. Um, and, but, but it was funny because they said, oh, did you win? <laughs> and you brought, you brought it up yourself. I was racing Michael Phelps. Um, no. I'm, I'm comfortable with the fact that I didn't quite beat Michael Phelps, uh, I wasn't far behind him. You know, when you're talking in terms of a hundred meter butterfly, uh, but no, I didn't beat Michael Phelps. I didn't actually. I didn't even make the final. Um, again, I'm comfortable with those terms because of my my unique pathway to the Olympics. Um, I was I was extremely proud the fact that I I actually competed really well. And I swam faster and did a PB at the Olympic games. And obviously there's more to that story, which we'll get into, but I swam faster at the Olympic games than I ever had in my life. And that was enough to, I just missed the semifinals. That was my goal. It was a stretch to make the top 16 in the world. Um, but yeah, I just missed out on the semis. Um, but again, I was extremely proud of, of the effort, um, and what it took to get there.
0: And no small feat by itself. And of course, nobody beat Michael Phelps. Uh, that's That's right, nobody, yeah. For three straight Olympics, the guy was unbelievable. How you got there is a great story too. You talked about being coached incorrectly. As a strength coach, we talk about how there is such a small window for even the most talented athletes to get noticed or even get into the right path at a young age to get the right opportunities. How many didn't train right and missed the boat to be legitimate professional athletes? So having said that, you have a great story about how you changed your training. And if you could please speak on that.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's a huge, that is a huge part of my life. Uh, to be honest, one of the, the biggest impacts on my life and the, and the direction where I've taken it, that, that issue itself. But I'd also like to acknowledge what you just said in the fact that uh, there is a limited time frame. And having been an, an athlete myself, that's not necessarily something that you recognize. I didn't recognise that I had a very small window of opportunity to perform. Um, I guess, being young and naive, you thought uh, you had all the time in the world. Um, so I, I think, as a coach, that's a really good point that you made. That we uh, we have have the responsibility to keep that present in our minds that these these young athletes really do have a very, very small window. And, and, you know, if I was young and competing, that's not something I would like to hear. Um, but it's something that us as mature coaches need to accept and acknowledge and, and implement in our coaching strategies. So I really like that you brought that up. When it came to my own development, it's an interesting story and I, and I like talking about it. And I don't, please, I don't mean any disrespect to my coaches when I was young, because I believe they did a great job with the education and the knowledge that they had. Um, you know, you're still talking about some of the best coaches in the world in regards to Australian swimming because Australia is a, a very predominant swimming nation. Don't get me wrong; I'm not blaming the fact that I didn't win a gold medal at the Olympics on the coaching strategies, but I do. Knowing what I know now, and I hate being that guy because I remember when I was young and swimming. You know, older men would always come up to me and be like, "Oh yeah, I, I used to swim. Um, you know, I was quite good in the day and." And you know, as a young arrogant athlete, you just be like, "Yeah, whatever, mate." You know, like I'm worrying about me. I don't, I don't care what you have to say. So I'm that guy now, and it, it, and I really dislike it. Um, but to to bridge into my development as an athlete and and how I ended up at the games, I was I was I was having frustrations with the way that I was being coached here in Australia in regards to my event. So my event was the 100 meter butterfly. I was nationally renowned for dying in the last 25 meters of that race. So I'd hit the 75 meter mark, and I remember my legs would just blow out, and I would have nothing left to give. So the coat—I uh, was quite talented, obviously, as an athlete. So it wouldn't be unusual for me to go out under world record pace. So I'd hit that 50 meter mark under world record pace turn off the wall and come back and most people would say oh well, you're just going out too fast I wasn't but to be honest I wasn't trying that hard you know I was just swimming with speed um, and swimming the way I, I knew how to swim and and you know obviously a lot of talent a lot of hard work went into it but I just couldn't get past that 75 meter mark so my coaches at the time would then say okay well you're not fit enough which, you know, you would agree is a pretty logical statement. I was not fit enough for my event, the 100-meter butterfly. The problem came with the logic afterwards where they said, well, okay, we're going to coach you for the 200-meter butterfly. Their logic was if you can swim the 200-meter butterfly, then the 100 should be easy. Right. And if you just gloss, gloss over it like that, you know, without having much education in regards to energy systems or things like that, um, you would say, oh, okay, yeah, cool, good idea. The other thing that might have worked against me uh, was I was a hard worker. So it certainly wasn't the most talented person in the pool, but I would dare say I would have been easily one of the hardest workers. And as a coach or particularly as a swimming coach and their mindset when I grew up, they liked that. And, And a hard training session would be a session where you were gassed, you were exhausted, you gave everything you had, and the coach really got every little bit of energy out of you. Not necessarily the best way to go about performance. That's good for general fitness and character building and things like that. But if if you're getting as specific as something to swim 100 meters butterfly faster than anyone else in the world... Not necessarily the best way to go around it. So the logic with the 200-meter butterfly was you're going to be so fit that 100 will be easy. Once again, the problem with that logic was you're talking about a different energy system. You're talking about a different pace. You don't swim the same speed in the 200 that you do in the 100. Therefore, your buoyancy is different. The level that you sit at the water, your technical stroke is different. Um, you know, your game plan for the event is completely different. So what I was not doing, I no longer practiced my event. And that's what I keep bringing things back to as a coach these days, focus on the event and the skills involved in that event, the energy system involved in that event. So it actually, it hurt me. So I started not performing as well as I knew I could. I was putting in twice, three times the amount of work but I wasn't getting any faster because what I now realize as a coach is I should have been nurturing that natural speed that I had and trying to make that speed last longer. So if I was to instead of doing say, repeat, so uh, a very common swimming set is like 10 100 meter efforts on one minute 10. So you've got a minute 10 to leave the wall Swim 100 meters, touch the wall, <laughs> push off and go again.
0: Okay.
1: And the, the mindset is you, you know, with athletes, that's an easy mindset because turn that one minute. T- so, usually you would begin at like one minute 20 and you'd have a few breaths, go, and then you drop that one minute 20 to one minute 15 for your 10 repeats. Okay. And then, you know, when you, you know, a, quite a decent effort is doing 10 100s on 110. That's hard work. Doesn't mean you're getting better at swimming, though. Right. Means you're getting better at grinding, you know, potentially better at 1,500-meter races and things like that. Had zero impact as a sprinter. So these days as a coach, we, we look at athletes that perform really well, track sprinters. If you've ever seen track sprinters train, they warm up, they sprint and practice their event, and they sit on their ass in between events, in between repeats. Right. And then they cool down and go home. And then they'll go in the weight room and do their weight training. Right. So I was craving that kind of mindset as a sprinter. My event lasted 50 seconds. So, you know, you're, you're in that realm where you're dipping into different energy systems when you start to push that event out to, say, two minutes, which is more like the 200-meter butterfly. Right. So I was, I was growing quite frustrated with, with my coaches because I wanted to sprint And coaches would see that as being lazy. So instead of doing 100 metre, 10 times 100 metre repeats with short rest, I wanted to do 10, 25 metre sprints with heaps of rest. Right. But swimming coaches who have that grinding mentality would see that as being lazy. I no longer see that as a coach myself. I don't see that as being lazy. I see that as being sport specific. So I believe I should have practiced my sprinting. I should have practiced more sprinting and built my energy systems to make my sprint last beyond 75 meters. If I kept training hard and practicing my sprinting and built myself to last 76 meters, then train harder, train harder, make that last 80 meters. That's going to be 85 meters, 90 meters and push that speed out to last 100 meters. and that was really my logic that I was very headstrong about but you know my swimming coaches at the time were more of that grinding mentality and basically thought I was being lazy because I wanted to stop swinging swimming six kilometers twice a day and I wanted to start sprinting. I wanted to warm up, practice my event, do dives, practice my turns, practice my sprinting, cool down and get the hell out of the gym and go home. But of course, that was seen as laziness. So I, I sorry, I, I tell you that story because that's a huge moment in, in my life as a coach now where I took it upon myself. I packed up and I left Australia. So I was offered this opportunity to swim for Malta. I could have stayed here in Australia with, at the time, some of the best known coaches in the world with all the support I was on the, um, when I was in New South Wales on the New South Wales Institute of Sport team. I moved to Queensland, the QAS Queensland Academy of Sport, and then you know under the the AIS sort of banner that helped all, all the resources that I had available available to me as an Australian swimmer. I gave all of that up to do the right thing by the country of Malta. I wanted to if I was going to represent them, I wanted to live there. So I lived there for a year, and I actually coached myself for a whole year. So. I saw it as an opportunity. It was a hell of a gamble, man, like to to pack up and, you know, I don't even think, no, I I hadn't left home yet. So I was still living at home with my parents and I packed up. No, sorry, I'd been living out of home for about a year Um, and I I packed up and, and moved overseas and I was excited about it because it was an opportunity for me to put, put something into play. So I had no, the reason I loved leaving the country was I had no influence, no more Australian coaches in my ear, you know, telling me I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Um, I just picked myself up. I took the risk. I took the gamble and I started training myself in Malta. So I used to ride my push bike back and forth from the pool. I upped my gym sessions um, and I dropped my swimming sessions. So I was no longer swimming twice a day. I was only swimming once a day. And instead of swimming six kilometers, I started, you know, barely breaking four kilometers per session. So my volume in the pool came right down, but my quality and and intensity went right up. And mind you, this is before I had any education as a coach. So this is what kind of started that snowball effect because I had no choice. I've I've committed to the Maltese Olympic Committee to... Being creating history and being this first um, multi swimmer to qualify for the games, but I've also, you know, put a hell of a lot of pressure on myself to coach myself for a year, so it was really going to be a reflection of the gamble that I took. And obviously, to, to break the story down and make it a bit quicker, I trained my ass off and I had the opportunity to go to Eindhoven in the Netherlands in 2017 for the European Championships, uh, and that was basically all bets on the table this is where I need to qualify for the games otherwise I've wasted a year and let everyone down stood up on the blocks at the European Championships and it was the first time I've told this story before but it was the first time that I realized I didn't know if I was any good I trained for a year without anyone looking at me without anyone timing me you know no, no coaching input apart from my own. And I've gotten up on these blocks at one of the most critical moments in my life and I've gone, oh, I don't know if I'm any good anymore. It was a bizarre, bizarre feeling, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, lucky enough, jumped in the water, gave it everything I had and, yeah, qualified uh, for the Olympic Games. So I'm sure you could probably resonate how that felt, the, the weight off my shoulders having taken that gamble and then qualified for the Olympics.
0: As you're saying that, I'm remembering a professional Spartan racer and OCR racer, which has become huge over here. He's an older racer and he was asked how he was able to continue to podium and win races into his 40s. His answer was, I didn't work as hard as everyone else. What he was talking to was the fact that he wasn't pumping out the high volume miles like many other racers were. He was talking about the minimum effective dose, so working very hard but within a smaller volume. He did what made sense to him, which sounds exactly like what you just said. And to use that as a transition here, moving away from the athletic population, this is something we are working on with the general population. What is the right dose? You've worked with all populations. How do you manage that? Because we have some people who aren't working hard enough, and we have to light a fire underneath. Then there are people who, have, who believe that more is always better, and we need to scale back on. How do you manage that as a coach that has experienced all that yourself?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really uh, clo- a, a topic that's really close to my heart. Um, I love the fact that you brought up the minimum effective dose. Um, you know, and when you work with athletes, that's the hardest part, um, dialing it back. I've just taken this role here of uh, head of strength and conditioning for combat training center, which is an established mixed martial arts and, and combat style gym. Uh, every single one of those athletes, I have to dial it back. Um, You know, I'm really coming in into this role. uh, Just uh, I'm very lucky that I I have a bit of experience. You know, I've got a few pieces of paper next to my name um, and I've got a bit of coaching experience where I've already established that respect and that credential. So they listen to what I have to say. But i tell you what, man, like if I didn't have that, it would be really hard, you know, working with fighters of all people just notoriously overtraining and notoriously they know they're going to get in a cage or a ring or, you know, they're going to be facing man-to-man with someone else with a similar skill set. So having that as motivation and you're going to do any any amount of activity or work and it's it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction to say, you know, my logic is, well, fighters, if they fight for a three-minute round, those guys are going to be training, you know, fives or sixes, sevens, eights, not even 10-minute rounds because they think they're putting in more work. But you always have to weigh up volume with quality. Yep. Um, so in an athletic respect, um, it's hard to dial it back. When you start talking gen pop, um, so g- like general population, um you know, now you're dealing with things like motivation and discipline and and sometimes they're hard to, to get the right amount of work done. That's when you're going to have to establish your, your, your credential with your education and your experience um, and, you know, your own work ethic and physique. You know, I think that's important that we we have a level to maintain. If we're preaching health and fitness, then we should be, uh, it shouldn't be too hard to maintain our, our own health and fitness. And I think that helps me in regards to general population as well. I'm certainly not going to go to a financial advisor that's broke. Right. You know, I'm going to seek, yeah, I'm going to seek someone that, that has experience that I can see they know what they're talking about. So that's fun for us because it gives us more motivation to maintain our physique, maintain our health um, as coaches. And that helps translate to the general population, of course. Um, you know, with them, that's that's where our education is. We, we need to direct my favorite terms, and I'm probably notoriously overuse them, but um, efficient and effective. You know, I, I know as a father, um, as as a busy person that runs my own business, time is precious. And if I'm going to step foot in that gym and I'm I'm doing it, sometimes I step foot in the gym because I just want to be there. I want to listen to loud music and I want to spend a bit of time in the gym. But if I'm stepping in the gym with the sole purpose of just trying to help my health and fitness and I want to get in and out as soon as I can, then I'm going to go down the route of efficiency. I'm going to choose the lifts and the the workouts that I believe are the most efficient to get me to where I want to go. And that's a huge part of our responsibility as coaches for general population and athletes to give them the most efficient pathway towards their goals. Anyone can make you huff and puff and sweat and feel ill in the gym. Anyone can do that. That's easy. But sometimes... It's not that huff and puff that's going to get you the results that you want. Would you agree with
0: that? 100%. You can have someone pick up the heaviest weight in the gym and drag it around for an hour, and it's going to be hard, but I'm not sure what you accomplished. Yeah. I want to keep going down that rabbit hole, but before I do, I want to go back. Uh, A question I wanted to ask you was, what was the environment like in 2008? Again, you had Nadal, you had Kobe, you had Phelps. As an athlete, I'm sure you were focused but as a fan and a, a, just a fan of sports, did you get wrapped up at all in the environments and everything that was going on around you as well?
1: Right. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, be, once again, because my pathway to the Olympics was, was very unique, um, it was just such a huge deal for me to be there. Um, so if you can imagine, uh, I was 24 years old, I just spent a year in a country where I didn't know anyone, didn't speak the language. Uh, I mean, sorry, everyone in Malta can basically speak English, but, you know, I was a bit of an outcast and I did that on purpose. I, I enjoyed that sort of style of just, I just lived in my, my little home and then I, I rode to the pool and that's that's all I did. Um, but if you can imagine a year of that, basically on my own and and you know social media wasn't very present, you know in 2008, you know We had Facebook and stuff, but not the way that we stay in contact So I I felt disconnected basically from the world for a year Now if you can imagine that same 24 year old Walking out at the opening ceremony of the Olympics with 80,000 people cheering you on Yeah, I got I got real caught up in the atmosphere and that and that's okay because although I wanted to compete at my highest level, there was more to it for me than winning a gold medal. You know, um, I, I wanted to embrace everything I could while I was there. So definitely got caught up in the atmosphere. I got—I had a funny story, like in, in regards to that, if we want to go down that path, I, um, I actually got to meet Kobe Bryant. Um, and unfortunately, I love basketball now, the Jordan documentary. I'm just complete bandwagon basketball fan now. We'll leave that aside. But before that documentary, I had no interest in basketball. So one of the interesting stories is when I was at the Olympics, we, we had the food court. And the food court is this huge, you know, basically like visualised like a shopping centre food court. And that was for the athletes, everything free, everything set up for you. And they basically had international sections where, you know, you would get your Asian-style food somewhere, European-style food there, you know. And, of course, at the Olympic um, Village, we had in the food court, we had our own McDonald's. So you just go to McDonald's and you order whatever you want. They just give it to you. Okay. I had been there for about three or four days and I'd never seen anything like it. I'm in an atmosphere that is completely full of Olympic level athletes, world champion athletes. Everyone's pretty damn good at what they do. The dream team arrived that day while I was in the food court. Every single athlete every olympic athlete got out of their chair and made a beeline straight for those guys and where were they lining up for mcdonald's they were all lining up for mcdonald's and it was just amazing to see the pool so two other people had that usain bolt had that kind of aura and uh raphael nadal had that aura Um, And so one time we had to have these, uh, to get onto the internet, we basically, there was the ground level and then there were these little huts that were kind of cut into the ground level. Uh, And all around was the residential sort of uh, apartments that we were staying in, in the Athletes Village. So I was down there on my own in this little hut on the internet. Then I see all these people rushing past the hut and I think, shit, something's going on here. And a couple of minutes later, here I see Kobe Bryant with his two security guards um, in the athlete's village, You know, trying to keep these Olympic level athletes out of his way so he can just walk from point A to point B. Now that is the man with a lot of aura and pull and that's when you know you're famous. Um, but I was so so lucky that because I was in the hut and I was the only one there, obviously Kobe needed a break or something. And the security guards have stopped everyone outside and he's come in and just sat down next to me. Oh. And so I'm there, you know, trying to be cool, like, yeah, hey, no, <laughs> it's just Kobe Bryant, no biggie. But, um, yeah, I had to turn around and say hi and, you know, obviously he was polite and said hello back and had a quick little chat. And then he got up and away he went. Um, but that was a pretty cool, amazing story of, of, you know, that's one of the things that I remember about my Olympic experience and that's how I got caught up in, in the event. Um, I was lucky enough that I performed really well, um, and my Olympic committee were proud of me, and they gave me the honour um, at the closing ceremony to carry the flag. So I was part of part of the Maltese Olympic um, team. I believe there are about sort of eight of us, um, and I was selected to carry the flag at the closing ceremony. Which, man, what an honour! You wow. know, there were there were only a few of us. Uh, you know, the representatives of each country at out the back of the closing ceremony of the Olympic games and I was one of them. Um, And my God, you know, like that's something that I can't wait to try and explain to my daughter, um, you know, what a privilege that was.
0: I can't imagine being able to do that. Good for you, man. Very cool story. And I'm glad I was able to ask that as a fan. As a coach, there is something special about watching someone compete that you helped get there. Now, we don't work on specific skills. I don't teach my baseball players how to swing or take my basketball guys through dribbling drills. Oh yeah. We give them the tools to do those things, and seeing that work come through on a court or a field is where our job becomes special.
1: Yeah, isn't that an, an amazingly simple philosophy that you and I both have that we 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 feel is very quite straightforward. I'm not, so right now I'm coaching, um, combat athletes. Um, in my previous role, I was coaching tennis players and golfers. I don't teach them tennis and golf. Right. I give them the physical abilities to be better at tennis and golf. And you know what? That may not look anything like tennis and golf. Right. And, and I just cannot believe that that's actually quite rare. Uh, at least that I've found in, in my, um, career as a strength and conditioning coach, you know, um, people taking this word "sport specific, I won't say too seriously, but I guess misunderstanding the word "sport specific because golfers and tennis players love to grab hold of that cable and do wood chops and, and rotate and basically mimic the golf swing. Right. I like those words, efficient and effective. That is not efficient nor effective for your golf swing.
0: Agreed. And I'll add consistent to that list. That's mine. We are tool givers. Our general population doesn't end up on a court or field, but are achieving the same thing. We're giving them tools. I don't want to say these tools are more important, but they are specific to life. The tools to play with their kids pain-free. The tools to continue to do a job because that is their paycheck and their food and putting a roof over their head. So there's a pride we have in giving those tools. Earlier, you mentioned your daughter. In the pre-recording, I was telling you that the day I reached out to you wasn't because of your athletic history. There are a lot of things I respect about you, but I reached out to you because I saw a post where you were saying, and I might not be quoting this exactly right, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you talked about the fact that your daughter has never been an excuse or a reason to not achieve your goals or to focus on your health. That's what hooked me on you. I'm a father and I don't wanna speak for you, but when I had kids, it validated every decision I made in my life, good and bad, because if I didn't live my life exactly how I lived it, I wouldn't have my boys, not the exact boys that I have today. In a long-winded way of asking, I'd like you to touch on something that is a, a challenge for most people. They have kids and their personal goals stop. How do you manage being a parent and focusing on your career goals and health and fitness?
1: Something that I'm really, really passionate about these days and something that I guess now we have or we add value to our service being mature, uh, being, dare I say, older. Um, You know, something that I would have glossed over as, as a young trainer, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28 years old, um, never really put any weight into the fact that a parent may manage, may, may struggle with time management. Um, and I guess maybe a little bit of arrogance and and I was naive and i just just be like, well, suck it up, you know, just find the time. At least now as a parent, I can relate I still don't really accept it as an excuse because you you just said yourself, you know, the life that I live. Um, But at least I can relate. And And I think, you know, I used to worry about getting older as a trainer because I thought a trainer should be a young, you know, early 20s, you know, this chiseled physique, you know, just the picture of health. There's so much more to our fitness market than picture of health there's lifestyle and there's there's not the picture of health there's actual genuine health whether you are healthy and can move without pain and have the motivation to move without pain oh sorry have the motivation there to move because it doesn't hurt I now understand that sometimes as an as an adult we're in pain and that will translate to no motivation to do anything because it's just going to hurt and I don't want to deal with that pain. So I now understand the importance of maintaining a healthy body, healthy mind, healthy physique so that we can continue doing the things that we want to do, you know, well into our later years. So part of that is me being a father. I hope I don't come across too, I don't know, uh, selfish, I guess I'll use the word, but, I was raised as an athlete. So there's a selfishness that comes with an athlete's mindset because you really have to have those blinkers on it and do everything in life that serves your cause and neglect anything that doesn't. So that was just the mind. And I'm very good friends with you know some world champion, world record athletes that are very selfish people. Um, and no disrespect to that, it's just the way that they are. And I think I've, I've got an element of that when it comes to being a father because I'm not ready to write myself off to just being a dad. You know, I'm so much more than just a dad. I mean, don't get me wrong, it is the, the proudest thing and the, 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 the achievement that I'm most proud of in my entire life. But I am still so much more than a dad. And um, I always say my daughter Blossom, she, she only adds enjoyment to my life. Not once has she ever restricted me from doing anything I want to do. Um, if I want to train, I train. And the reason I can do that is you use the word consistency. Um, I just have my standards of of parenting and behavior and she's grown up with that. So it's, you know, because I implemented it at such a, a young age, I was determined to not give up the things that I enjoy and, and my health and fitness. Uh, she just came along for the ride, and I've just... I so um, I'm in a situation where I'm separated from Blossom's mother, and I have just had her for a week because she's on holidays, and I just love the fact she's six years old now. She just slots into my life, so I still come into work. I still train. I I do all the things that I enjoy, and she knows that she sits down and, and colors in when she needs to sit down and color in. Or I give her an iPad and she can have a little bit of time on that, or she can come over and, and walk on the treadmill next to one of my clients or with me. Or you know, I always just make the most of the situation where I include her. I'm so inclusive of her. I mean just a couple of weeks ago, because I've found this newfound love for basketball, um, you know, we were there and I was playing basketball with about eight of my friends, all grown men, you know, all in our thirties. And here's my daughter, Blossom, you know, running on and off the court to tell daddy that she found a cool rock or something, you know, and and she has no intimidation of any of my grown men friends. Um, She is just, just there with me. And, I have no, no special secret, man. Like it's just consistency and, and just getting on with it. Um, but it's so easy for me to make that decision now because she's grown up with it. Um, and I really think you've got to invest in those hard times where you, you have to teach them what's right and what's wrong and just be consistent. That's the, that is my number one parenting tip. You have your standards of behavior and never ever deviate from that. Make sure that your standards of behavior. Like, so, my daughter, she has to use her manners. If she asks for something, you know, she's a little foodie. She loves her food and she loves her dessert. And she will, you know, if, for example, uh, you know, uh, I used to, so our thing was swimming. So I used to take a swimming every Wednesday morning without fail. And there's that consistency again. Every single Wednesday was daddy day and, it was, and I'd take her swimming and I'd teach her how to swim. Now, on the way past walking out of the swimming school, she would ask me for a lolly or a treat. Now, if she didn't say please, she didn't get a lolly. And that was really hard because, um, you know, especially when I, when I was in a situation where I was separated and, you know, when you're separated and you have time with your child, it's a lot more precious. And, you know, and, and sometimes as the father you get maybe a, or as a, as a parent that might get a little bit less time than the other parent, um, you want that time to always be positive. Well, I saw the value in consistency. So I knew that it sucked not giving her a lolly or an ice block, you know, and seeing her be upset. That was really hard for me, seeing her be upset. But you know what? It only took like two times. Then every single time after that, she remembered to use her manners. So she always says please and thank, you know, I'm I'm credited all the time when we're in public that how polite Blossom is. And you know, but it's just consistency. I've got no special parenting secret, and I don't see myself as some super special parent. I'm, that's the other thing. Dude, we're making this shit up as we go. And and I came to terms with that. Um, you know, very early, I, I think more so when, when I was separated and, and I started. That was a really hard time when my ex ha- basically handed Blossom over when she was probably about uh, uh, maybe three, four. Yeah, like late, yeah, maybe the end of threes, maybe early fours, probably four. And it was crazy because she handed over my daughter, and I'm like, oh. Okay, now I'm responsible for everything. It, it's a, it was a really weird situation where I panicked as an adult and as a father where I thought, I don't know this stuff and that's not good enough. I need to know more. And I, uh, you know, touching on a little bit of like maybe depression or anxiety, not feeling good enough for my daughter, I had to come to terms with the fact or recognise the fact that we're all just making this up. And there's there's I, I won't particularly say there's a right way or a wrong way. Obviously there's no no's and there's things we should do. Um, but apart from that, if you love if you genuinely love your child and show them love and respect and, and honor them as they grow up, you're gonna be doing it right. And it's okay to not know what the next move is. You know, I've had a huge, huge lifestyle change over the last few years where I am okay with the fact that I'm going against the grain of society's norms.
0: You're speaking to my heart here. I have a stepdaughter and my sister was is my my half sister uh, through my dad's first marriage. I saw him struggle with seeing his daughter significantly less than half the time. That makes disciplining really difficult. You want every moment to be positive. Going back to something you said, you used the word selfish. And I know you struggled to find the right word, but what you said is the opposite of selfish. You can't be a good dad if you aren't the best version of yourself. I can't be a good father if my health isn't there. If I'm tired or stressed out or in a bad mood, what example am I setting? How can I give the best of myself if I'm not making the best effort to be the best of myself? It's a tough message to get across to parents because they do. They feel selfish. If I take an hour away from my kids, I'm selfish. It's hard to hear because we know the opposite is true. But you just gave one solution. You involve your daughter. You don't leave her. She is at the gym with you or on that basketball court with you. She becomes a part of your health and fitness, and that is a huge takeaway from this conversation for the listeners. Be an example for your kids. I work next to my daughter, and she will sit next to me and pretend to be a businesswoman. I love it. I do. I just love it. Now, I've heard you talk about the fact that there are so many things in life you want to do, but at some point, you do have to make decisions. We only have so many hours in a day, right? Bill Gates talks a lot about time being our most precious commodity. We can't get that back. So how do you decide what you can do and what you can't do?
1: I uh, don't know. <laughs> don't know, man. That's, that's something that I struggle with every day because I'm so enthusiastic about life. I'm so enthusiastic about sport and performance and spending time with my daughter. And I love life, man. And, um, and it's, I think it's largely due to the fact that I'm selfish. I think it's okay to be selfish with the things that make you happy because, like you just said, you have to have a full cup before you can pour from it. You have to be happy before you can help it and be what you need to be for your children or or your friends or people around you. So I, I still don't know how to manage my time because if I had more time, I'd be a professional fighter right now. I totally believe it. That I, I I love mixed martial arts. I love combat sports. I love jiu jitsu. I love boxing. Um, you know, I would be competing in sport. It's this goddamn work thing that gets in the way. <laughs> you know, we, we need to earn money, but that's my work is also a hobby that I enjoy too. So I'm sure I would be doing what I'm doing now, whether I got paid for it or not. Um, it's it's a hard answer to question. Uh, sorry, hard question to answer because I don't have the answer of how I manage my time and what I prioritize. I just go with the flow, man. And what I, whatever I'm feeling like I want to do at this point in my life, I just, I run with it. And one of the the biggest, you know, uh, things that have affected my life is my mindset now, knowing that it's okay to not conform with society's norms. So I was raised in a very textbook, perfect family environment. I had my sister, I had an older sister. My mother and father are still together this, to this day, very much in love, very happy. Uh, we had family dinner at night. We went to bed early. We got up early. Um, my dad took me to swimming training. My dad went to his nine to five job. He got home in the afternoon. I'd be at swimming training in the afternoon. I'd get home, I'd go to bed and repeat it all right and i had a beautiful childhood and i'm thankful and grateful for it obviously now being more mature i recognize that it took me a long time it took me oh man it took me like 32 years to thank my parents for the commitment that they made in allowing me to be a swimmer they had to wake up at 4:30 every single morning and drive me to the pool sit in the car while I swam for an hour and a half, drive me home, make me breakfast, drive me to school, get to school, pick me up from school, take me to swimming training in the afternoon, wait in the car while I swam for another hour and a half, get home, cook me dinner, go to bed, do it all again. It took me 32 years to say thank you for that because I guess as a child, you just think that's what you do. Um, so the picture on painting is I was raised in a very society norm textbook family. I now live on a houseboat. I put weight in, into the fact that I, now, I never played basketball in my life. Now I go to the basketball courts at least once a week and throw that around and, and I just go with where, wherever my head or my heart's at. And I'm, another thing that I'd like to encourage is for people to not be afraid of being a rookie or being an amateur or learning something new, you know? I think that that's one of the biggest hesitations for people that nervous or embarrassed or hesitant to try something new. Um, My life is so full of excitement and fun because I have so many hobbies and I invest in them. You know, it's like the gym, training and fitness. For my gen pop, my, my general... Um, sort of fitness clients, I really encourage them to go out and buy new shoes, Buy, buy new training shirts or shorts, or it's your hobby, invest in it, enjoy it, you know, show off your new stuff and feel good in it. And, you know, like enjoy, it doesn't have to be a slog, you know, every time to drag your ass in the gym, look at it as a hobby. And that hobby just so happens to give you a lot of credit in regards to health.
0: Yeah, another great takeaway. You have to follow your health. If you don't do what you like, at least some of the time, how are you going to get through the less ideal parts of life? You and I are lucky enough to find careers we truly enjoy and are passionate about. And I understand there are many people who aren't so fortunate. So if we don't find time for those enjoyable hobbies and spending time with our kids, we won't be successful at the rest. It's just not probable.
1: Mm. I think it's important to to stay open-minded too. as, as I was younger, you know, I, I really subscribed to certain mindsets um, and, and certain philosophies. But, you know, when you get older, you're like, oh, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, I don't feel that way anymore. And I think that's um, just recently is something I've noticed my opinion changing on, on certain topics that when I was younger, I was so set in stone that this was right or that was wrong. Now what I try and do is not tie myself so heavily to my current opinions because I now know that they're likely to change later in life.
0: And I've also heard you say you don't have an opinion on anything until you are educated on it, which goes back to trying something new and experiencing new things. That's cool, man.
1: That's cool that you pick up on that. Because yeah, that's that's I guess one of my life philosophies. I don't engage in conversation heavily. If I'm not educated on something, you know, so many people have their, you know, their opinions and, and, and theories on things. And I, am I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I'm dumb, yeah. you know, like, I don't, I don't know what's going on in the world right now with this whole COVID situation, whether it's a government conspiracy or whether people are sick and die. I don't know, man. So I don't comment on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of, I stay in my lane, right? <laughs> stay in your lane. Yeah. And this beautiful age that we live in, you, uh, you don't have much of an excuse to not be educated if you're passionate about it. It's so easy to find resources and people to subscribe to and listen to and get yourself educated.
0: Right. I forget who said it, but we don't have an opportunity problem. We have a filtration problem. Filtering through good versus bad information. So true. So true. I know we are getting close on time, but I want to talk about your day to day. You are so disciplined, your nutrition, your sleep, uh, you get your workouts in, you have a technique. Um, we've talked about how motivation is fleeting, and you can't depend on, on moments of high motivation. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that too. So how do you combat moments of, of no or low motivation? How do you stay disciplined?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you just said it yourself, you've got to be careful with mixing or relying on motivation. You can't rely on motivation. It's not always going to be there. You can do certain things to help that motivation. That's why I said if buying a new pair of shoes makes you motivated to go to the gym and show them off, then power to you. Go for it. Do it. Um, But we also have to recognize there's an element of discipline there too. And uh, the sooner you can become friends with the fact that you're not always going to be motivated and you you will have to suck it up and be disciplined at times, life's going to get easier just, yeah, just suck it up, hit that discipline button and make a commitment to yourself. So I, that might come with planning and routine. Um, I'm, a, I'm a real routine orientated guy. I'm guessing that's come from the fact that it was hammered into me since I was five years old with waking up for swimming, going to school, get back to swimming, going go to bed. Um, and I'm so thankful. I really am. I'm really thankful for my upbringing and, and the discipline that that involved. And once again, that comes down to parenting and the standard that my father and mother set. Um, But I think that discipline can come from routine because if you know you're supposed to be somewhere doing something, that discipline, when you turn it on, you're going to get there, whether you're motivated or not. So my advice in that regard to lifestyle and achieving goals uh, you know, whatever it may be. Obviously, we're speaking from a health and fitness standpoint, being our profession. But set the sessions that you know you are going to set and show up to, and then just make sure you bloody show up. Just get there. That's your discipline, and and that's going to be so much easier if you set it out on paper, set a routine, and don't give yourself any excuses. Show up. You know, there, you gotta you gotta remember that. We're dealing with some people that just they want the magic pill. Everyone wants the magic pill. It doesn't exist. The magic pill is consistency and discipline. Become friends with that fact. There's there's no way around it. My personal lifestyle, you know, um, I'm I guess I'm a bit different now, you know, because I I went from the the family home and and that environment, and I, I had a bit of a rocky couple of years where I separated from my ex and. Um, and all the the fun and games that come with that, you know, that kind of uh, uh, pathway and and getting over the whole separation and divorce and everything, I struggled, man. Like, I I was in a pretty dark place. Darker, I I recognize now that it was much darker than I thought it was at the time uh, because I, I guess... I also have that, that masculine mentality when it's like, just suck it up, you know, just suck it up and keep going. And, and, um, I never took myself, for example, like mental health. I never actually had a mental health sort of check-in with a GP or, or spoken to anybody. So, um, I, I did have that alpha slash masculine mentality, which, uh, could be good or bad. I don't know. Um, I'm happy where I am now. I've gotten through it, but I also recognize that it was, it was a much darker place than, than I even knew at the time. But I love, love my lifestyle now. You know, I was actually just talking to my best mate this morning um, because I, I love my life so much that sometimes I think I might be kidding myself. Does that make sense? It does. I, I had this conversation this morning, I, my best friend who knows me better than anyone else in the world. And I said, man, sometimes I check myself to see whether I really do love the life that I'm living because I I love it. I wake up every morning excited now, you know, and I, I, I credit it to the lifestyle I've created. I've bought myself this beautiful houseboat, you know, and I, I spent the money on it, put the work into it, and I've made it very comfortable, you know, like... I'm not roughing it in, in any aspect. You know, I still have my standards of living and the things that I enjoy, and I like being comfortable. So it's not like I'm out there on this dingy boat, you know, struggling with no power or anything. I've got complete, you know, I've got a huge sort of um, solar and power system running off two forty volt power, our regular sort of power. I've got my water, I've got my shower, my hot water. I have all the basically. I live on a modern apartment that floats. And I've been lucky enough and I've worked hard enough, obviously, over the years to afford that and to have paid for it. So now what I've done is I've created this lifestyle that doesn't cost me any money. And I, uh, I, I look at it in two ways. So I could be using that opportunity right now to really get ahead in life and save a lot of money and, and accumulate and accumulate, which was kind of the mindset I had before. Or I can use my lifestyle now For 35 years, I feel like I've had my foot on the accelerator since I was five years old. Like I said, Olympics, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. So I I achieved everything in my sporting career that I set out for. Immediately after my sporting career, I went into my Cert 3 and Cert 4 in fitness and, um, and then from then on, it was achieve, achieve, achieve. I wanted to be bigger. Because I had a swimmer's physique. So I wanted to look like I trained in the gym. So mindset was like, get bigger, get bigger, get stronger. I want to be the biggest, strongest guy, you know, and then it was business. So I'd never been business oriented in my whole life because I was just a swimmer. So then it was like, okay, I want to open a gym. I want 15 stuff. I want, you know, achieve, 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 accumulate, accumulate. And it's almost like a, a race. I felt like a race to achieve and, and get to this, this endpoint. But that endpoint doesn't exist. And you forget to enjoy your life when, you, when you're when you chasing, chasing, chasing. And I believe I was very influenced by my ex in regards to materialism. Um, you know, she lives her life and, and that's, you know, power to her, but she's a very, I guess, materialistic person. And I was influenced by that. I've never been so happy until I, I recognised or felt contentment. You know, the, the word content is... Is something that's just resonating with me so much right now. And I realize I have everything I need to be happy. So instead of using my lifestyle now that doesn't cost me a lot of money to get ahead in life, don't get me wrong, I'm still goal-orientated goal and motivated with business and everything, but I now enjoy my life and the pressure is off me. I don't have to earn a big income to survive, to pay bills and things like that. I now don't have to earn a, earn a very big income. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm still business motivated, but there's just something so relaxing and relieving knowing that I don't have big bills to pay at the end of each you know, a month or a week or whatever.
0: Does that make sense? It absolutely does. You've got the opportunity to just to do what you love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Please go on Instagram and see Ryan's houseboat. It'll make you want a houseboat. You posted a picture recently of the water saying, you can't believe that's your backyard. It's just beautiful water and you and your daughter spending time and you got to see it. You seem to have found what many are searching for and that's very cool, man. I I mean, I I
1: have this feeling that I've, uh, what's the word? Like I've cheated the system. I have this weird feeling like I'm waiting for somebody to come and say you you're not allowed to do this you can't do this and that that's that's the the tethers to society and what society says is normal right um, I, I've cut them completely but I do every now and then I have this weird feeling like somebody's going to come and tell me I'm not supposed to be doing this you're not allowed to do this you have to conform and. You know, where I'm living, like I said, I wake up every morning and I could take a video every single morning. I, I obviously live in a, in a very beautiful place. I live on the Gold Coast in Australia. Um, so you couldn't do what I do anywhere in the world. But, man, and like it all came about because I was upset about, you know, my current situation and, and I was with one of my mates and we were we we're on jet skis at the time um, going past a houseboat. And he pointed, he said, dude, you could do that. And it was just this huge moment. I was like, yeah. Um, And I remember the same feeling when I was 18 years old. Um, That's the legal age for most things in Australia, like drinking and stuff. Um, And I had always wanted a motorbike when I was young. Um, My parents weren't into bikes or anything. Or my dad was. That's a whole other story. But basically, my parents never bought me a motorbike growing up. I had this weird rush of emotion when I realized, hang on a minute, I'm 18, I'm working, I've got enough money. I've, if I wanted to, I could buy a bike. Never ridden a motorbike in my entire life. Next day, bang, straight up to the, the motorbike shop up the road, bought myself my first bike, couldn't even ride at home because I'd never ridden a bike in my life and I had to get my dad to take me down and, and teach me a motorbike. And I think that's a huge part in my development as a person I don't let people tell me I can't do anything. If I want to do something, I do it. And there's there's that selfishness that I talk about, but uh, I think it's a good style of selfishness where you know that's where we let into doing things with my daughter and that. I just I don't have that switch that most people have that go oh no I can't do that. That doesn't exist.
0: I agree, and there's a difference. There is selfishness and there is self care, and what you are talking about is self care. And good for you because it has made you what you are today. You followed your heart. And to make this goal full circle before we wrap up, it's back to the minimum effective dose thing. It's what you just said. What's the minimum I need to be happy? Get it and enjoy it. That's so true, yeah. Well, listen, Ryan, before we wrap up, where can people find you and reach you? Uh, These days, I think like most
1: people, I'm leaning towards Instagram as my main social media tool. Uh, my Instagram is just ryan.gambon. Um, I've got a lot of help and support with the team that I'm with now at Combat Training Centre. Um, they're very uh, marketing-orientated and, I guess, with the times, you know, whether we whether we like it or not, um, marketing and, and promotion is all social media these days. So, yeah, Instagram, ryan.gambin I do have a website, um, but obviously you can find my website off my Instagram or just head to just rgstrength.com. A um, lot of exciting things in the works now with, with my new team here at combat. Um, you know, uh, I finally feel like I have a lot of support in that respect because I'm a hands-on guy. You put me in front of an athlete, put me in front of a team, put me in front of a camera, I'm I can do my thing. Game on it's the behind the scenes stuff and the promotion that I'm not that good at. And that's okay with me because now I have a team here that, that helped me in that respect. So I think we're going to be putting out a lot of quality information. Um, I'd really like everyone to jump on and follow, uh, combat training center, um, and combat is CMBT, uh, abbreviated combat training center. And then they also have a supplement company, um, combat nutrition. Um, they're going to be putting out a lot of quality resource and content for people. Um, you know, they're, they're really committed to helping people like myself and using myself for education and, and as a resource for people to jump on and get a lot of good information. So, between Ryan Gambin uh, Combat Training Center and Combat Nutrition, people, I, I hope people will get a lot of value out of following that sort of those sort of um,
0: pages. Love it. I didn't say it before, but congratulations. I'll put those sites into the show notes so people can find you. Uh, Ryan, it's been a pleasure to do this and uh, I'll let you go and uh, let me know if we can do this again. I think there's a definite opportunity for a round two here.
1: Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for giving me your time. And uh, I guess the, the respect for having me
0: on Thank you. This has been the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. You've been speaking with Ryan Gambin. Look him up, and everyone have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day, see you next time.